You're listening to the Ghost Goal Podcast. Gerard with space, pumped it towards Barosh. He's been tipped through it. The goalkeeper made contact. Luis Garcia was in front of the line. Gallas hooked it away. Goal! The first goal of the semi final is a Liverpool goal. And it's come down to Drogba, who this time is the fifth penalty taker for Chelsea in the final shootout. Welcome to the Ghost Gold Podcast. As always, it's Andrew and Alex in here. Thank you so much for taking some time. Get ready for the Premier League. Uh, we got a lot to cover on this episode. We're going to talk about our top six predictions, our bottom three predictions. We'll give you our predictions for Golden Boot, our predictions for Young Player of the Year, for Player of the Year, and we're going to throw out a team we think, two teams that we think are going to surprise you. One team that in a, in a positive way surprises you, and one team that in not so much surprises you uh, just disappoints. So uh, I'm going to welcome in my illustrious co-host, Alex Moss, at ASMoss92 on Instagram and Twitter. What's up, buddy? Not much, man. I'm uh, excited for the, the real football to get started. I'm, I'm starting to get sick of the uh, of the friendlies. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think most Chelsea fans would say the same thing after the result from the Community Shield this morning, which you couldn't watch in the United States for free because ESPN put it behind a paywall. So uh, shout outs to you, ESPN. Jokes on you. I didn't wake up till twelve. I mean, are you even so. are you even like a real football fan in the United States of America if you haven't discovered like a whole host of like streaming sites that you can just sort of illegally watch? Like, I would never See, condone breaking the law, but at the same time, I feel like it's a natural reality of being someone who wants to watch uh, like any game you want. Like, there's always going to be a game in the French league that might look entertaining, but you know, it's behind a paywall on BN Sports and BN is showing something in Italy instead. So, you know. You, you got to do what you got to do. You know, if, hit me up, DM me if you guys want any suggestions. I'm not going to display them out here uh, in, in a public yeah. form. Exactly. No, but uh, yeah, we've all been there. It's it's a shame, but I'll say this: like, this is a problem that like we don't have it as bad as the people 20 years ago had it. Like, it was almost impossible to watch the Premier League in the United States 20 years ago. We've got it pretty easy. You had about two yeah, or three matches a weekend. Yeah. Uh, even 10 years ago, it was tough. Now it's, now it's pretty easy. So we're, we're coming, we've come a long way. This old NBC gold thing. I'm not the biggest fan of, but, uh, it is what it is, you know? All right, let's get into the, to the meat of it here. Let's get right into the thick of it. Um, we're going to do our top six predictions. And the reason we're doing top six is the quote unquote, you know, your big boys of the Premier League, your Manchester cities, your United's, Chelsea's, Liverpool, Arsenal, and laps last but not least Tottenham uh we you know it's funny enough we have gotten this right one of us has gotten it right I think every year in the, in the two seasons that we've done it because it you, wasn't uh, me last year <laughs> it wasn't you last year I believe I picked City to win the league um and I'm pretty sure you picked Chelsea to win the league under Antonio Conte I will say okay yeah. I will say that was like right when we had just signed Morata it was with like a month to go in the window. Like I didn't know about any of the other deals after that. Uh, 
I was still pretty high on the whole, like, we've won the league thing, you know? No, but didn't you pick them the year before when... when, when no, I didn't. No, you didn't. I didn't. You didn't. No, I picked... Uh, didn't. That's who right. Who did I pick the year before? I can't remember. But... Um, he might have picked City. Yeah, maybe. But at the at the end of the day, it, it's kind of a crapshoot. You know, it's... Uh, like, I'm not going to be picking Chelsea again this season. I can tell you that much. But... Uh, what I will say is if you don't pick your own team, like your all of your rankings and picks from after this are just, you know, they're just null and void. Like you have to pick Liverpool. Like, I just know that. I know that much. Don't don't spoil the um, show. No, no, no. I mean, don't I'm not spo- spoiling We're shit. Anyone who has listened to more than three episodes of this knows what's going to happen in the next like five to ten minutes. You're going to make the case. And I'd rather you just start it off with the case because we like to come in hot here at the Ghost Gold Podcast. <laughs> All right, if we're if we're coming in hot, the then like it's the main question me, on everyone's mind: who's going to win the title? Shouldn't it? I all right, all right. I do declare today, in the year of our Lord twenty eighteen, the fifth of August, Liverpool Football Club are going to win the Premier oh, League. God, wait this year, <laughs> this year, this year they're going to win it before January. Okay. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. But they're going to win the Premier League this year. I think we're going to. I think we're set for a two horse race this year, an actual race. I think it's going to be Liverpool and Manchester City going head to head all season, and it might not get settled until the last couple weeks of the year. Um, but I think with the additions that Klopp made, the pieces that are already there, not losing anybody who, in my mind, was essential. Yes, losing Sean hurt, but they, in my opinion, upgraded with Nabi Keita, and they brought in Fabinho, which potentially could loosen up Jordan Henderson to kind of play more of a, a box-to-box role instead of a, a defensive midfielder role. Um, I think the everything points to this is the team. You know, Jurgen Klopp is the only manager in recent history to stop Bayern Munich from winning the, the Bundesliga. I think this is the team that he finally has built all his pieces. You look around, you know, the whole front three are all guys that fit perfectly in Klopp's system. Two of them he signed. You look in the midfield, again, uh, you've got a hardworking midfielder in Henderson. Wijnaldum he signed. Uh, he brought in Keita. He brings in Fabinho. And then you look upon the, the, the back line. Andy Robertson, his signing. Virgil van Dijk, his signing. Joel Matip, his signing. He's come to love Dejan Lovren. Right back, you've got Nathaniel Klein, but you've also got Trent Alexander-Arnold, who's still young and was given the opportunity to grow and become this great player uh, because of Jurgen Klopp and then Allison, the most expensive goalkeeper in the history of, of world football. Uh, you have the talisman in Salah. You have the, the hardworking guys who... In, in, we saw what the front three could do last year, and I think that's only going to get better. And I think by adding Shakiri, you're talking about a front three that's, that's going to, at least for for both formationally and for you know form wise, Shakiri's going to be pushing these guys hard every week, week in and week out in practice. Um, I think they finally have the depth they didn't have that last year, and I think this team is ready for something special, and just the the pace that they've attacked other teams so far in the preseason. A lot of guys didn't go to the World Cup. A lot of guys came home early from the World Cup. Like the only person who's not with the squad right now because of World Cup stuff has been Dayon Lovren, who just came back. Everybody else has been back for weeks. That's a luxury that Manchester City definitely haven't had. It's an issue that Chelsea, you know, they weren't able to play Hazard today because he was out. They weren't able to play Conte because he's still resting up from the World Cup. Liverpool have the opportunity 
to get out in front early, which we saw how important that was for City last year. I don't think you're going to see them go on some crazy unbeaten run, but I think you're going to see them ready to hit the ground running on August 10th or 11th when the season starts for them. And that's something that a lot of other teams in the Premier League don't have. We see that happen all the time after World Cup years. And I think because this team is so diverse, this will be the one that wins the Prem. The two questions I have for Liverpool in terms of their ability to win the league is how quickly can Nabi Keita settle into a new league and get back to like the best we saw of him at RB Leipzig? Because I, I, I don't think it's any kind of secret that the defending in the Bundesliga isn't quite up to the level of the Premier League. You know, it's 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 not it's not super impressive to score the amount of goals he scored uh, from midfield uh, in the Bundesliga. But at the same time, it was the manner of the goals he scored and just sort of the overall effect he had on the team that that was what impressed people more than just the fact that he scored a bunch of goals. Uh, so I want to see how quickly he settles in. And then secondly, I want to see how much of a defensive negative. Jordan Shakiri is when he eventually does either come on for Liverpool late in games or start games against like weaker opposition because he's not someone that likes to press or really do much defensive work at all. He likes to be the, for lack of a better term, the focal point of the attack where like on the counterattack, the ball immediately goes to him and he makes the decision as to where it's going from there. That's not going to be his role at Liverpool. He's going to have to find a way to sort of uh, adjust himself as a player, so he's more comfortable in this this team this team system. So I, I don't think those are questions that are like so big that you you, you could say Liverpool absolutely aren't going to win the league this year. But uh, I just I, I just think there's too big of a gap still between them and Manchester City, and Manchester City are going to have to have a really big uh, injury to one of their three best players. Think like Aguero, De Bruyne. Uh, Sane, someone like that, for them to really knock, like, be, fall off so much that Liverpool can take over. That's that's what I think, and I have City winning the league this year. Not surprising. And and my question about Manchester City is the midfield. You know, we saw we saw David Silva get a year older. Kevin De Bruyne is still perfectly in his prime, and they did bring in Riyad Mahrez, who they played in the middle of the park, who will cut into the middle of the park when he plays in a Guardiola system. Uh, but I look at the midfield and I say they couldn't always handle the physicality a Liverpool brought them last year. Yeah, but that's head to head. We're talking about overall thirty-eight games. I get. I think. I think those two head-to-head moments are going to be very big for these. I think they're going to be important points for these teams. Um, I love what Kata brings to our midfield, but they were. You know, we talked about it forever. Like you got you and Ale, uh, you and Javier talked about it almost a whole episode about how Jorginho going to Manchester City was perfect for them, and and they didn't. You know, they we thought they were going to get Fred too, and he ends up at Manchester United. I know that they have all these great pieces, but after Fernandinho and Ilke Gundogan, they don't have anybody who's playing in that sitting role. Yaya Torre is no longer with the club. So I think that's the area of concern if I was a Manchester City fan. Again, I think that's – it's such a small area. I mean, it's an important area, but, I mean, there's still technically a Fabian Delph. Right. That's, they could that's always a big pull, name. Like right. he's, was, he was pretty good for them last year. Like you'd be pretty comfortable right. with him over someone like Yaya Toure. Right. And, and you also can see them pushing John Stones or um, – Laporte into a defensive midfield role because of the the way both of them are on the ball. They're not prolific passers, but as a stopgap guy, I could see it working. City winning the league wouldn't shock me at all. 
Um, oh really? <laughs> I yeah yeah I really wouldn't really wouldn't. Um, I I think I think a lot of people are going to pick City to win the league again. I think Liverpool are going to be the most popular secondary pick, and then after that, I kind of have a lot of questions. Which is, it was tough for me to put three, four, five, six down on the paper. I obviously have Manchester City as my number two, um, and that's where that's you know, then every single one of those clubs I have questions about, and um, I'll go alphabetical order here. I'll start with Arsenal, and my question about Arsenal is, who's going to step up and be the guy? You know, Alexis Sanchez is gone. It's Pierre Emerick Aubameyang. <laughs> It's a pretty easy question to I, answer. I get that. And and I think we saw him do a really good work down the stretch last season. But he's got a new manager. He's got a couple new players around him. He was the guy at Borussia Dortmund. But again, and I said this in the last episode, did he ever really do enough that we were talking about him as an elite player, a player elite enough to help guide Arsenal into the next level. I think Arsenal's attack is going to be prolific, but I, I, I have a lot See, of questions. I, I think this uh, still about the back. This half. carries on from the transfer uh, news pod we did, where I kind of think you're getting hung up on the idea of this squad, this Arsenal squad, in terms of can they win the league with this squad? And I don't think anyone, maybe a few Arsenal fans, the truly, uh, the truly deluded ones, maybe a few of them think they can win the league. But I think most people are fairly like. Uh, in agreement that this is a team that like they're just trying to reach the top four, and like say what you will about their aspirations, if that's their their overall goal, but I think that's a fair and realistic one for them. Um, I think Aubameyang in a thirty-eight game Premier League format or a league format in general is just he's he's a weapon that everyone else just has to like sit there and behold because he scores in bunches and like usually scores two or three at a time or it gets completely held off. But when he does score two or three, I think he's usually playing against lesser opposition, which in this league format is something Arsenal desperately need because didn't they go like the whole second half of the season last year, not winning a game away from home until the very last game against Huddersfield. So yeah. there's some serious deficiencies there they have to try and fix and having a goal scorer, the likes of uh, Aubameyang, and also uh, Lacazette, who they're, I think they're going to be able to find a, a way to successfully play them together. Having those two, along with Mkhitaryan, Ozil, uh, back fully focused on Arsenal with no more uh, Germany uh, duty to really distract him, I guess. The, attacking-wise, there's a whole lot of potential. Uh, I actually think the season's going to end up with Arsenal pretty firmly in fourth place. And then, shock horror, Chelsea will come in. I think we'll snatch fourth place from Arsenal right at the end. That's why I think will happen. Um, and I think Chelsea are going to improve overall as the season goes on. So, yeah, what's your, I'm right what's there your with four? You. Like, what's your top four? My top four, Liverpool, City, Spurs, and Chelsea. Oh, thank you. Okay, so you're one of the believers in Manchester United are falling apart in the third season of Mourinho. Oh, for sure. Okay. Like, it's already there. It's already there. I mean, Jose Mourinho is criticizing Anthony Martial for having a fucking child. It's not a great like, look. I, I agree. That, that's a, that, like, come on, man. He hasn't fixed his relationship with Pogba. They bought Matic last year to free up Pogba. What is there to fix with that Pogba? Like, what, like, they haven't had the, the two of them don't get along They haven't had like, the greatest relationship of all time, but I don't think they, they dislike each other. You know? I, I think I think we're at the point now where we saw Pogba be an elite player for France and for Juventus because he wasn't asked to do the same stuff for United. And I think part of that is he hasn't been great at United, but 
Um, Who's to say that they don't have uh, Fred and Matic come in and do all that same dirty work that was being done for France for him, and Pogba is all of a sudden think, released to go be this attacking, athletic super player that everyone thought he was going to be? I think that there's the the capability to do that more with with Matic and Fred. I agree with you, but my my bigger issue is that will Mourinho loose the dogs and let them play like that? Will he, you know? They need to retain, in my opinion, they need to retain Martial. They they need they, their front three should be Martial, Alexis, and Lukaku, with a midfield three of Fred, Pogba, and Matic, and then backline. Whatever See, it is, the Martial thing. I think the Martial thing is like too far, too far gone. Where. Um, it was going to be kind of a, a big ask to see if he was ever going to fit into a Mourinho system in the first place. So now that they have Alexis, now they have obviously Lukaku uh, filling the number nine role. And I, I think a player who fits into a Jose Mourinho team a little bit more is Marcus Rashford. And that's someone you could probably see whether it's out on the right wing, switching with Alexis, who starts in the left wing. I think that's a far more likely front three, especially with all the pressure from the club itself to get Rashford into the team as a as a, a youth team graduate and everything like that. Uh, they gave him the ten shirt today, right? Too. I think Martial is uh, probably on his way out. I just think United are going to and Mourinho especially are going to be stubborn. They're not going to let him go to any Premier League club, and they're not going to let him go for less than they evaluate him for. So it's a tough spot for him. They they have a huge sell on clause with the, the contract that they he did with Monaco because United like United paid I think it was like close to like forty million straight up and then there was like an additional like forty something million on in in add ons add ons and like they've already paid some of it if he like wins Golden Ball or Ballon d'Or or something for United they had to pay like a bunch of extra money Monaco built that deal perfectly by the way. Um, but United selling him, they won't get the full fee. Though I think like a, a good percentage, uh, a good percentage goes back to to Monaco. Um, but yeah, I I look at United and I look at the players, and I just don't see enough of them that believe in Mourinho's system. And while that sounds crazy, we've just seen it happen at so many other places where the players, when the players don't buy in. You're you're not going to be successful, and and I look at United, and I, I I have them at fifth, because I think they're going to be right there, knocking on the window, and just having these inconsistent performances week in week out, and maybe I mean maybe we see Jose Mourinho get fired if they really tail off, but I, I there's just not a positive amount of energy coming out of Old Trafford right now for me to pick them in the top four. And I agree with what you said earlier about Chelsea with the, I think that they'll surge in the second half. I agree with that. I think, you know, Sari hasn't had his full team yet. He still is waiting for guys to come back and guys are back now I, or will be. Do you want to get to Chelsea in a second? Cause I do want to finish on yeah. United. Cause I'm just going to be, I'm just going to be honest. I just don't think any of those points are really, I don't think they hold up enough. I think they're based off of certainly like past like anecdotes of Mourinho's career. Most recently, we have the Chelsea memory very, very fresh in our minds. But at the, at the end of the day, like that, those those drop offs, I think, came from a sort of stagnation that you have to you have to be able to accept and 
uh, run with as a champion. You can't like just sort of fall off and just become disinterested the very next year if you want to expect to retain the league. But I think he's just struggled to get through to teams in the same way after he's already achieved success. Because once you've gone that gone to that that mountaintop with him, I think maybe it's just this new generation too. They just kind of don't have the same patience with him uh, and the same belief in him maybe as former generations or past generations did. So like I, the the main difference here is that United obviously haven't achieved any sort of real success with Mourinho yet. They've won the Europa League. They've uh, they win the FA no they won the FA Cup with Louis Van Gaal. They won the League Cup with Jose. They you know they've won little things here and there, but they haven't had that one big major uh, major trophy yet. So they're still hungry, and I think they're still going to be willing to uh, to heed to his demands. And I think with the addition of Fred freeing Pogba up. I don't know if you get exactly the same player that you did at the World Cup just because there's more games. It's kind of hard to maintain that same level of intensity as you, you do in the World Cup over that, such a long season. But I think Alexis Sanchez is going to become a player of the season candidate. And, you know, you saw him take a few months to get to get really uh, back to his best. But I, I think he got close to his best with United there at the end of the season, scoring the FA Cup semifinal for them against Tottenham, scoring in a couple of Premier League games at the end of the season. I have them in third and Chelsea in fourth with the top four of City, Liverpool, United, Chelsea, and then Arsenal and Tottenham just missing out. Um, we can talk about Chelsea now if you want. I'm, uh, you know, I've probably got plenty of thoughts on them. No, I, I agree with some of the stuff about Mourinho and I agree with some of the stuff about Alexis. I just, I just have a feeling right now that the collapse is coming. I just, everything I seem to read about them is, is negative and it's written from a negative way from the fans. I feel like if they don't hit the ground fast, the pressure is going to add up quickly on this team. And I don't know how mentally they're really prepared to handle that. Um, before we transition to Chelsea, there is still hot. To, uh, there still is, still is some hot rumors about United in the transfer window. They're still being linked to Sandro from Juventus. Doesn't sound like that's going to happen by the end of, end of the week. And the other one that is being mentioned now is Toby Alderweireld from Spurs, which would help their back line immensely. Sure. They've also been linked to Harry Maguire. It sounds like the Harry Maguire deal is not happening. Uh, I saw somewhere on Twitter that United were offered Maguire for £35 million prior to the World Cup and said no. <laughs> so definitely not getting him for that price now. Um, and Mina, uh, Yerry Mina went to Everton – uh, today, or that's about to ha- that's about to be finalized, which is a great bit of business, in my opinion. From Everton, there was rumors that United were interested in him, and he ends up at Everton. So, I find it hard to believe that if United were really interested, then that they would have just let him go to another Premier League rival. So, there's still questions about their backline. But yeah, let's jump over to Chelsea. Um, I'll let you go first because I kind of started with my point earlier. No, I just, I just there's a whole lot of negative energy about Chelsea right now, and uh, with, I think a lot of it is also coming from Chelsea fans, which gives off the perception that Chelsea are kind of on this downward spiral, and a lot of other fans seem to be sort of buying into that. A lot of people seem to be assuming that Eden Hazard, at the end of the day, is going to end up at Real Madrid, uh, that Thibaut Courtois is not going to start the season with Chelsea. There's just all these things that I, I personally feel, just from what I've read online, whether it's in articles or like on Reddit pages and stuff like that, where it just feels like everyone's kind of assuming, oh, this is the downfall of Chelsea, where I think Chelsea do seriously have a very good shot at 
having another great first season under a new Italian manager. <laughs> and I think that's where the parallels will stop <laughs> for between Sarri and Conti. Uh, and getting into the top four, playing good, attacking, attractive football. And I'm not saying this, I'm, I'm, this is absolutely going to happen, but I think there is a scenario in play where uh, a player like Eden Hazard is like so impressed and so uh, happy with the style of play and the performance of the team this season that he decides to resign. And, you know, maybe maybe he takes offense to the fact that Real Madrid weren't willing to fork over the money for him this summer. And he just says, OK, if you don't really want me, then I'll stay at Chelsea. You know, these, this is what I'm talking myself into. But I can absolutely understand anyone that thinks it could go completely wrong and sorry is out by December because we've seen that before, too. Um, I just think the two Chelsea's two best players are going to be the ones that are made to look even better in this system. Uh, and that's obviously Eden Hazard and N'Golo Kante. I think the player of the se- the player of the year uh, discussion, which we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, that to me was so close. And I couldn't decide really between Eden Hazard and Alexis Sanchez because Hazard is going to be played in that Lorenzo Insigne role that uh, he had at Napoli under Sarri, where he's technically starting out on the left wing, but he's basically like an inside forward playing off of the center forward who will most likely be Murata or Batshuayi. Um, and I think Eden Hazard, he's going to be completely freed of any sort of defensive deep work that he had to do before, where a lot of times in the past, the only way Chelsea could progress the ball up the field was if Eden came into his own half, received the ball from a defender, beat two midfielders off the dribble, and then sort of started dribbling forward and played a ball in behind for one of the other forwards. That's not He's not going to have to do that anymore. He has Jorginho, he has Kante, he has probably Fabregas or uh, Ross Barkley or Ruben Loftus-Cheek to do that in midfield. We're going to have much many more bodies in midfield to do that work where he can just stay, stay very committed to trying to find little seams and defenses. And I've seen enough from Jorginho already in these three or four preseason games to think that he's going to be one of the newcomers of the year in the Premier League. He's going to be absolutely amazing. You're going to see a few balls played in behind for the likes of Willy and Pedro, Morata and Hazard that will end up somewhere near like the assist of the season rankings. Like that's just going to happen. So like I said previously, I think Chelsea will start slowly up. Like you said, the, some of the world cup semifinalists are just coming back from their vacations now. So they won't get integrated into the first team until maybe two games into the season. And from there, there's obviously some some rust and some kinks to work out in the system itself. But I think around January, Christmas time, maybe even, you'll see Chelsea fully clicking, scoring a ton of goals and being one of the best teams in the league to watch. No, I, I think they're going to start slow. I agree with that. I think this is a new system. It's a new philosophy. That's a big change. And, and frankly, like, I know Conte had this team attacking way more than Mourinho did, but you're also going to see them change formation-wise, too. Like, no more back three. I mean, it's not like we're unfamiliar with a back four. We played it for many right. years before Conte. It was only two years we were really playing it. Exactly. But, like, that's still, like, N'Golo Conte hasn't played at Chelsea in a back four. Like, there are there are members of this team who, who weren't there for that. You won't have to days. worry. Do you know where N'Golo Conte is going to be? N'Golo Conte is going to be up, like, at the top of the field. He's not going to be anywhere near, like, the defensive midfield. He's going to be, like, initiating our press. It's going to be beautiful to watch. You're going to love it. <laughs> uh, 
I, we'll see. I, I loving it. That's I mean, a hard you have note, Chelsea but, in the top four, so obviously you think there's something to like here. But like, what? what uh, yeah, you I think do. That they're I do. Be in the top four because Tottenham obviously have been th- top four for the last three, four years. I think Chelsea will take time to adapt to this new formation and the new philosophy. But I think I agree with you. During the second half of the, the season, you'll see them kind of spring out of potentially like a stuttered start in the Premier League. I like the other question I still have is like. Who's going to be the start starting striker? Who's going to be on the right wing? Like, there are still questions I have about this team. Whether, like, is Pedro good enough still? Is, like, Willian, there are half of Chelsea fans want him there forever. The other half are like, if we sold him to United for $60 million, I'd be... Snatch their hand off. <laughs> exactly. Like... There, there are guys that there's, there's a lot of talent on this team. Like I'm not going to sit here and 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 slag Chelsea off of that. I, there's an incredible amount of talent. This isn't a roster that removed from a team that won the Premier League two years ago. It's just is there enough talent to keep up with City and Liverpool? And I think at the start, no. And like I talked about earlier, I think that start's going to be so important. Um, but I, I do think you know if they keep themselves in the Europa League in the second half of the season, you could see Chelsea win it outright and not even have to worry necessarily about making the top four to qualify for the Champions League. Um, you're, you're also the other the only other question I have about Sari too is yes, we've seen him progress so much up through Italian football, and he got uh, you know got to the got to Napoli and did a great job, had the highest you know the, the most points that Napoli's ever had in a season, but he's never won a, a major trophy. Or he's maybe he's won the Coppa Italia. No, but he's won, he didn't he win Serie A. Right, he didn't win Serie A, and that would be my one. That would be my one concern. But I think I also think judging a manager solely off what they did at, um, you know, at a, at a club with a different financial st- uh, setup, at a club establishment. with the fifth highest wage bill in Serie A, he achieved ninety-two points. I'm just saying with Chelsea's resources and. I think it's fair to say Chelsea have a more talented squad top to bottom than Napoli do. We have more depth. Oh, I agree. We have more talented youth players. Uh, he's going to have a lot more to work with, and he's going to have far more options to tinker with in his system. It's going to be wild <laughs> for me. You bring up youth, and, and this is an issue that every Chelsea manager – this is an issue almost every manager under Abramovich has struggled with. They know they're on a short leash. They know they need to win now, which is why they don't always give – a shot to some of these young players that Chelsea has. And that's why we see Chelsea players from the academy leave and go elsewhere. I mean, there's plenty of stories. Daniel Sturridge, Ryan it's not Bertrand. Chelsea academy, but okay. We right. bought him from City. He, right, you bought him from City, but then he played in your youth team and came off the bench. He didn't really play in our youth team, really but he like, yeah, he didn't get enough minutes for us, sure. Um, okay, I get what you the, mean. The youth I'm going to be interested team players, to see if sorry you The youth team them. players are going to play probably exclusively in cup matches and Europa League games. And the only t- two players that will play in the Europa League games will be um, uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi, the left winger, and Ethan Ampadu, the center back slash defensive midfielder who we signed from Exeter. He's not technically a youth team player, but we did sign him when he was like 16. Uh, those two 17-year-olds are going to be the only really like teenagers who have a chance of playing uh, loftus cheek it still remains to be seen whether he's going to be loaned out or uh kept in the fold so uh i, I hope he stays in the fold because i think he'd be a really useful player to fight with ross barkley for that third midfield spot where that player will basically be the sort of spearhead from midfield that carries the ball forward uh and tries to find little spaces for Jorginho and Conte to play them into 
So it's going to be interesting to see two young English midfielders who I don't think many people would agree that right now are absolutely like Chelsea quality. Uh, they're both going to be expected to make very big strides this season and uh, if they're going to be able to hold down that, that role. Uh, I want you, if you want to think about this and answer it later, go ahead. But I want to give like one or two like surprise predictions that I think are going to happen at Chelsea this season. I want to hear what you have to say about like Liverpool in like the same vein. But I think two Ooh. surprises you could see at Chelsea this season. And, you know, maybe I'll hedge my bets a little bit here and say at least one of these two players will force themselves into the starting lineup. But I think either Mishi Batshuayi or uh, Emerson at left back are going to end up by the end of the season being the starting player at center forward or left back. Uh, Mishi, I just think from what we've seen at Dortmund, what we've seen at Marseille in past seasons, when he's played in a system more like curtailed to his... Uh, to his abilities, he can score bags of goals. And this sorry system is going to be perfect for him. He's not going to be asked to be like a Drius Mertens false nine, but he's going to be asked to absolutely be a poacher, absolutely get on the end of one-touch passing moves and try to finish first time. That's what he's built to do. And I think you're going to see Alvaro Morata maybe have a slow start. He's already starting slow in preseason. Uh, eventually, Mishi's going to come back from the uh, the World Cup break he had. And I think he's going to end up winning winning the starting position, and he could, he could score like fifteen plus goals this season, which I think after what he's achieved so far, Chelsea would definitely be like a very big step in the right direction. And as for Emerson, I could just see him displacing Marcus Alonso just because he has more of the qualities in like a, a fullback that uh, a Maurizio Sarri type. Uh, player should have. Like think of like uh, Fauzi Goulam at Napoli last season. Big, tall, like Marcus Alonso, but he was really good with the ball at his feet and was able to sort of uh, create chances off the dribble and score goals from kind of outrageous positions where he was almost playing as a winger. And I think Emerson kind of encapsulates that a little bit more than Marcus Alonso does. No, I agree with that. I could really see that one happening as well. Uh, Let's jump over to Spurs. Um, I have a lot of questions about this team. I still think they're going to be competitive. Um, I still think Harry Kane's going to smash goals in. Just not in August. New stadium. Yeah, and just not in August. New stadium coming. I'm just shocked by the lack of, of business. Moussin Dembele, Toby Alderweireld, and Danny Rhodes are all... There's all rumors about the three of them leaving. They've been linked to Zaha forever. We talked about this last week. Just... I, I, ta- I, I don't know what to expect from Tottenham. And I, I find, I guess, maybe they're going to say, well, we didn't need to sign any more attacking talent because we have Lucas. I still have questions about that midfield at times. I, we know they're going to be good. I just I think this is the year that them being good kind of catches up to Isn't them. Isn't good enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, they'll still be a very tough, they'll be a tough team week in, week out, no matter what. But I just think by failing to add pieces, there's still, you know, yes, they have Llorente, but there's still questions about who, if Harry Kane goes down, who is taking over for this team. Maybe we see Hyunming Son continue to to do well in the Premier League. Maybe we see Deli Ali get back to the form from two seasons ago rather than his form last year. He was pretty good last I just, year still. I, people were criticizing him, but he had, he had like a, a career high in assists. He didn't score as many goals, obviously, but he was still a pretty good player for them. Yes, yes. 
he just wasn't the player that won Young Player of the Year the, the year before that everyone was like, how did Spurs get this guy for five and a half million right. pounds? Um, I mean, the new the new signing or the player that could prove to be kind of like a new signing is Lucas Mora. Uh, yeah. We, we kind of asked what was he going to bring to Spurs at the end of last season when they bought him in January, and he didn't really get like a fair shake of things. He didn't really get like a run of games. Um, so with Hyunmin Sun, I think he's going to be missing the first couple of weeks of the season from uh, international duty. They have like the the Asia Games that South Korea are competing in, and they have to win for uh, Son to be gained exemption from military service. So it's pretty important that they they do well in that. So he's going to be missing the first couple of games of the season. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Lucas Morris step in and like finally like find his his role in this uh, Spurs team and. Obviously, Eric Lamella was missing for a long uh, portion of last season and the end of the season before. So maybe that's what Tottenham are banking on. And like the return of Harry Winks and all these players, and they think that they have a decent enough squad and that Pochettino can continue to develop them in the same sort of trajectory. But I think we all we all kind of, maybe unfairly at times, we all kind of default to this view that if you're not doing anything, then you're not improving and everyone else is catching up to you or surpassing you. And... I think that's maybe fair to say of Liverpool, Arsenal, and maybe Chelsea in terms of like what they've done this offseason to sort of catch up to Spurs. Uh, Liverpool definitely, Arsenal like maybe are as good as Spurs now, and then Chelsea maybe as good also. We don't we don't really know. So that's what's scaring people off of Tottenham. Uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with them. I, I don't know where they're gonna finish in fifth or sixth. I just don't think they're gonna finish top four. See, I have them in third because I know I can still pencil in Kane to score consistently. And that, like, we haven't seen Lukaku. We've only seen one year of Lukaku at United. And if he if we get the player of him at the World Cup, then they're making the, the, they're making the, the top four for me. And if, if he's not that, then we've seen United struggle for goals. You know, you know Spurs aren't going to struggle for goals. I still, like I said, I still have them in the top three. But I think that they're a distant third, and I think that Chelsea almost sneak up on them at the last point and take third. But okay, um, I mean that's the only team that we really didn't like dig deep on was City. But we kind of talked you don't about need, them. You don't need to dig deep on City. Really, we'll dig deep on City yeah. when something changes. Exactly. Exactly. So my my top my final top six as it stands: Liverpool, City, Tottenham, Chelsea, United, Arsenal. Yeah, mine is Man City, Liverpool, Manchester United, Chelsea, then Arsenal and Tottenham just outside. Let's go to the relegation zone. Um, I had two easy picks for you know, for my relegation really? zone. I know now, one. Two easy ones. Cardiff City, I don't think, have brought in enough quality to retain the Premier that, League. That's um, this happened, very fair. That, that, that happened the last time they came up. Uh, signing championship players is not going to keep you in the Premier League. It's just not, in my opinion. Um, I don't think that there's enough experience of playing in the Premier League from this squad. I think that this team is, is bitten off a little bit more than they can chew. One thing I, one thing other I one will is, say about Cardiff, because I also have them bottom, I think that's pretty fair of both of us, is that I'm not willing to say they're complete, they have no chance whatsoever, just because oh, what, yeah. I don't know if they wisen up halfway through the season, if they're not doing well, maybe they fire... Uh, uh, Neil Warnock and hire someone else. I, the names escape me at the minute, but I, I feel like there's a chance they could hire a manager that's able to get them a few points in, in a row. Maybe he gets the faith in the board to go out and buy new players in January. And maybe they go on, run, on a run from there and just sort of 
uh, sneak safety. So I'm not going to say never, but this, uh, this I, I don't like their chances right now either. I don't think that their time in the uh, the, the Premier League is going to be as contentious as the last time when their their owner changed the the, the crest yeah, and, the, and the color. Yeah, that was bad. Yeah, that was a, that was a, that was a bad time. Uh, the other team I had that was an easy pick for me was Southampton. Uh, I think we okay. saw we saw them. We're in agreement. We saw there. them. Yeah, we saw them hang on by the skin of their teeth last year, and I've been very underwhelmed by their. You know, if it didn't work that well last year, what makes you think it's going to work again this year? And that's my big question about Southampton. Uh, there's not top-tier youth. They're not buying young players that they trust and believe in. I look at this team, and I'm very I'm questioning more than I have answers. And I don't know where the goals are going to come from. I don't know if the back line's good enough to prevent goals from coming in. The goalkeeping situation was not great at times last year. I just look at the Southampton team, and it's. I think this is the team that gets sent down. Okay, well that makes that makes me feel a little bit better because I was considering having them as my like my my disappointing or like struggling pick of the season. But if we both agree that they're probably like a shoe in for at least like a relegation battle, then I guess my uh, expectations of them are kind of like fair. yeah, I agree. I mean, the main the main thing that's the most ins- uninspiring for me is just them retaining Mark Hughes as the manager. That's that's just not going to do it. You know, we, I think we've seen enough of him at uh, obviously First City, where he wasn't able to progress as a manager and become like sort of a title slash trophy winning manager. Where he went to Stoke afterwards, and they slowly devolved into a terrible defensive team, and. Uh, an, an uninspiring and uncreative attacking team. And Southampton already struggled with those issues. They had the sort of adrenaline boost of a relegation battle to sort of galvanize them in, in, into getting behind Mark Hughes' style and, and, and surviving last season. But over a 38-game season, I, I think the main question for them over their survival is like, how long is it going to take them to fire Mark Hughes? Because if it takes them as long as it did last year for uh, them to fire, I can't even remember his name. What was his name? Uh... The Southampton manager last year. Oh, the one before, the one after Puyol, or not Puyol. Uh, Puel? No, no, no. I'm talking about Puel. this this past season, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the Spanish manager who Mark Hughes replaced. I'm <laughs> see, do you see what because I mean? Because I can't remember. Yeah, I can't either. remember his I name. Remember I can remember either. his face. I just can't remember his name for the life of me. Yeah. He wasn't good. I'll yeah, tell no, you that. I mean, they were terrible. He was the one who got them into the relegation uh, fight they ended up in, but... Uh, yeah, they they struggled with a lot of very uncreative uh, play and lazy defensive lapses before Mark Hughes came in, and that's been an absolute uh, main catalyst in uh, Mark Hughes' teams of Stoke City of the past, where they've just been one of the worst defensive teams in the league for two or three seasons now. I don't see that changing with Southampton. So, how did we forget Maurizio Pellegrino? That's it, Maurizio Pellegrino. Yeah. Uh, the, Terrible, <laughs> very uninspiring, very uninspiring managerial uh, hire by Southampton, and they've continued that that trend with uh, with Mark Hughes. Uh, who, who was your third team that you had? See, this is where I'm not sure. I want to give like a hot take and say Watford because I think that they might not. I be thought that about good it. This I year. thought about it. I I the and the other one too is I do I, I do like some of their business. 
Um, but I do question whether whether David Wagner can keep Huddersfield. Damn, we're, you and I are on the same fucking brainwave right now. <laughs> Those were, that's my three. I had Hart, uh, Cardiff, and then I had Huddersfield nineteenth, and then Southampton eighteenth. Um, the goal scoring—you've got—you've got to be able to have a consistent source of goals from somewhere in your team. And there's no phase of the game for Huddersfield that I'm confident they're getting like ten goals from. I could absolutely see a season where both their strikers, Mounier and uh, Depoitre, struggle and combine for maybe like eight or nine goals in the league. You know, like their yeah. midfield isn't stuffed with goals either. They've got decent players and roles there, and their defense is what it is. No one really impressive. And and that's kind of how I feel about Watford. To be to be honest, like they've been rumored for for going after a guy like Divacarigi. I know that they. They signed Dulafeu, and then they have Dracore and, and Dini. I just look at this team that, you know, every year there's one team that kind of surprises you that they're struggling, and I feel like that that might end up being this Watford team. Is that it? On paper, it looks like things should work out, but unfortunately, the game isn't played. Are you uh, on are paper going to choose them? So I've got Huddersfield. Yeah, do it. Yes. yeah. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Watford so I can be a little bit different, and this is probably why they won't get relegated. But uh, what yeah. are the chances um, that one of us gets two of these right? Because I think Cardiff is a fit, pretty like safe bet. Um, I, I feel I think like the other two are kind of like out, like open. You know, the Premier League has shown us the last couple of years. Uh, it doesn't matter how well you did the season before. You can finish eighth as West Brom have plenty of uh, well-seasoned Premier League uh, uh, professionals, and there's still a chance that you might just have one bad season and drop into the bottom three. And uh, you know, like you can see, maybe like Bournemouth. You know, they haven't they yeah. haven't done terribly well in the transfer market this season. They haven't signed a bunch of new players. Uh, you can see them absolutely like falling off just with one bad season. So uh, I'm just bringing to light how difficult these picks are. Yeah, let's go to Golden Boot. Um, I'm going to not pick Mohamed Salah. Wow. Um, and I th- I think part of that is because I don't think um, – it's not that I don't think he's going to score a lot. I do think he is going to score a lot. Um, I just think you're going to see maybe a little bit more even distribution of the goal scoring. Um, and I know he hit goals. Though? I do think so. I think they're going to continue to hit goals at the same ratio. But I, I also think – you know, with a guy like Shakiri coming in, with a guy like Keita coming in, I think you might see Sadio Mane's form pick up a little bit too at times. I just think that Salah still – I still have Salah slated to break 20 goals. Whether or not he, like, goes on to win the golden boot is is yet to be here or yeah. there. Um, and, that, and, you know, golden boot for me is trivial. Whether a Liverpool player wins it or not, I'm not like I'm not sitting here walking around celebrating Mohamed Salah. Right. right, like it's the fucking Golden Boot. Like the only trophy that matters is the one that's awarded at the end. Ah, of welcome season. to the big time, Andrew. Welcome to the big time, yeah. uh, Liverpool fans. Uh, you've graduated from Tottenham status to uh, serious right, contender well, let's, status. Let's, let's be We're real. Let's, how much around shit saying, that, "Oh, look how, how many how players much, we have in the World Cup. This is amazing." And everyone else is just kind of like, yeah. "No one gives a shit." <laughs> I told you there was a reason I couldn't go out with the Tottenham fan. <laughs> She's like, Andrew, I'll have you know, Ericsson has the most assists of any player in the Premier League in the last three seasons. You just be like, okay, cool, dope. What have you guys won in that time? <laughs> That's how you know your team's Thank big you. time. <laughs> thanks, thanks for the fact. I didn't ask for it. Okay. 
but I am going to go with Harry Kane, actually. Um, I really it's, hope that he doesn't score in August. Pick. Just It is a it's very the safe safest pick. It's a of very, safe picks. It's the safest of safe picks, and I've you know what I'm trying to win here. Alex. Maybe we should I'm, mention uh, maybe we should mention some of the uh, the fan tweets, some of the fan contributions. Oh yeah, yeah, we've got we've got a couple I believe of those. Both of uh, them suggested Sergio Aguero, which I think is another not quite safe pick, but I think that's like the second best pick. Has he won Golden no, Boot he's before never in the won Premier it. League? You see, that's the thing. And, like, you know that this City team is going to score a lot of goals. My question about him is, though, you know he's going to be rotated in and out with Gabriel Jesus. Right. Well, that's the thing. It's where and, you don't really know how Pep's going to play it or what the injuries are going to occur, whatever, because Gabriel Jesus missed a lot of last season, which led to Aguero having, like, 24, 25 goals. So uh, maybe you see Pep focus uh, Aguero more – on the uh, the European games, rather than have him play, I don't know, like a Tuesday night in Huddersfield or something. Maybe I'll have Gabriel Jesus playing those those Premier League games. Still a very good option, a very good player, and he'll save Aguero for the Champions League. You just don't know, so it's a, it's a tough it's a tough pick to back up in that regard. Um, but I'm going to pick Pierre Emerick Aubameyang. I, I I just think I think his. Uh, his flat track bully record is absolutely amazing. He scores a ton of goals against teams that are uh, not great defensively, and I think he's going to have a lot of <laughs> a lot of games this season where he just you just see him score a hat trick, two goals here, have a couple of assists there. He's going to be electric. I don't know if those goals are at the end of the day going to like really impact Arsenal's. Uh, ability to get into the top four, but you know it it wouldn't help if he scored thirty goals or twenty nine goals. Yeah, I could see that one. I think that's a good one. And you're talking about a guy who won it in the Bundesliga as yeah, well. Sure. So uh, that's that's a lot. The ghost one, yeah. Uh, those two fan, in, uh, the the two fans to submit picks were uh, Tone at Saint Tone ninety five and our close friend Chris Chimura. Um So yeah, uh, let's go to Player of the Year. Now I think we may very well say the same name here. Um, I'm going to pick a player, not from Liverpool, even though they're winning the league. I think we're going to kind of see... Okay, first of all, if Liverpool win the league, who is winning player of the year? Because that's probably how it's going to go down. Probably Salah. Right. I'm just, I'm just probably. getting you on record. It's just, I'm right, doing you a right, favor yeah. here, Andrew. If, you, if your prediction that. comes true, that. you get to say that, oh, I had Salah as player of the year and Liverpool winning the league. That's a, that's a good combo to have. It's a good tandem to have on record. Um, but what I, what I think is going to happen is kind of similar to what happened with, with Angolo Conte when he won player of the year at Chelsea. Um, he was so important to that team and didn't get the plaudits the year before because Riyad Mahrez got them. Um, I think the reason – we talked about this. The reason that, that Salah won player of the year is because he broke the highest goal-scoring record. I think if Kevin De Bruyne puts up another world-class season that he will win – the player of the year, assuming that Salah doesn't go and break his own goal-scoring record, even if Liverpool in the league. I think that people will look – like the writers will look at the fact that that Kevin De Bruyne had another fantastic year. Um, yes, they missed winning the league, but he was the best player in the league even though Liverpool wins it. And that's that's what I'm going to die on. That's the hill I'm going to die on. It's a little bit of a makeup for last the year. The makeup call. Because he was so Yeah, good. I mean I had, yeah. I had him as the – player of the season last season i thought he was better than salah and i mean i obviously understand but yeah i mean i think it would be 
understandable, but I think he would have to win the league again. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't think he's going to win player of the season if uh, Liverpool win the league. I think you're going to see definitely a Liverpool player win that. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to be a little bit, uh, I'm just going to say it. I have Alexis Sanchez winning player of the season. I think his style is perfectly suited to whatever it is that Jose Mourinho teams do when they attack. I think Alexis is absolutely the perfect player for that in a similar vein to uh, Eden Hazard for Jose Mourinho and, and those Chelsea sides. But I think Alexis is a, a more intense uh, driven version of what Eden Hazard provides from the same position. And he's someone who makes lung busting runs to get into like a back post position and get like, like a surprising amount of headed goals. If you go back and watch his Arsenal highlights, he comes in back post so often when like Giroud misses like a, a, a cross and he just sort of like heads it home or like touches it home from the back post, even though he's the smallest player in the box. He's got an incredible nose for goal. He's going to combine really well with Lukaku and Pogba and Mata. Uh, and Fred, I think, is even going to be sort of an attacking revelation at United this season, where I think uh, United, I think it's going to be a three-horse race for the top of the league, to be honest with you. And I think United are going to be dragged into that race by the likes of Alexis and Romelu Lukaku, just combining and creating a million scoring chances for uh, for, for them and their teammates. So, uh, and I think close behind Alexis is going to be Eden Hazard. I think Eden's going to have a career high for goals in the league this season. He may even reach 20 goals. I think his previous season high is like 16 or 17. Um, he's going to have a ton of goals, and he's going to be an absolutely electric player. And he's going to be, to be quite honest, he might even be playing to get that move to Real Madrid, sort of force Real to say, okay, we're going to spend this money on this player. So it may not be for the right uh, reasons for Chelsea, but I think you'll still have an absolutely stud season. Uh, other player of the year nominations we got on Twitter include also Kevin De Bruyne. Um, Kevin De Bruyne, yeah, that's pretty much it. So <laughs> it's, it's a good one, you know, second best player a, last season. Yeah, I heard he's, heard he's, he's pretty he's good pretty at good. the football. Yeah, uh, young player of the year. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. I'm gonna stick in Merseyside here. I'm gonna go Trent Alexander Arnold. I think. Uh, I think he wins the the right back position outright from Nathaniel Klein by maybe November. I think you'll see the two of them rotating pretty often. But then I think you're gonna get to a point where it's just Trent's position to play. Um, he fits Klopp's system perfectly. Yes, he's young, but he was great for us down the stretch in the champions league i think he's a real player i know that his official position is technically central midfield but i think he fits right now at right back and i think Klopp will continue to stick him there and i think if they win the league and he puts up some assists and continues to progress as a defender you're going to see him win it but a guy i'd, I'd say to keep an eye on is uh Cessignon over at, at fulham, at fulham right. who who was nominated for young player of the year while playing in the championship last year um, left back can play f- as far forward as he, left. He plays wing in the left wing for them, or like left midfield. Yeah, um, really talented kid. Was heavily linked to both Liverpool and Spurs this offseason in Fulham. I think keeping him is, uh, I think, is really good for them. Um, but that that's one to watch out for. But I think it's going to be Trent. Okay, uh, I have two honorable mentions: uh, James Madison from uh, from Leicester City, twenty-one year old midfielder who we covered in the our transfer news segment for Leicester. Uh, he's going to have an awful lot of uh, creative responsibility on him. That's uh, that they're going to be looking for. There's going to be a huge void to fill from Riyad Mahrez's departure. 
uh, I, I'm not sure if he gets it going right away, but I think you could see by the end of the season him really blossom into one of the best young players in the in, in the league. Uh, Ruben Neves is another uh, important one like you can one. include in there. He's uh, and then finally Lucas Torreira. I, I'm not quite confident enough in any one of those three to pick them. So I'm going to take the safe pick here and go with uh, Leroy Sané for the second year in a row. I think, yeah, he was up there for me too. Yeah, I mean, he, he was, uh, his stats were absurd last season. <laughs> like, uh, and if he continues on the same vein and could maybe could even progress, then he could absolutely have it wrapped up for a second straight row here. Chewy has Damari Gray, Tone Damari had Gray Gabby is Jesus. Ballsy. Shout out to Chris Jamara. That is a ballsy pick. That, that is but a very it could come to fruition. Thing. You never know. All right, we're going to go to our sleepers. Uh, and I talked about this in the last podcast, but I think Wolverhampton Wanderers finished in seventh place in the Premier Now, are they a sleeper? I, I feel like I disqualified them from myself because I feel like so many people are like, oh, watch out for Wolves. That, like, you can't really call them a sleeper anymore. Like Everyone's kind of like, oh, watch out for Wolves. <laughs> you know, like it's... I still think you have to count them as a sleeper because they haven't been in the Premier League in the last, what, like four or five seasons at this point. They don't have a ton of players who have Premier League experience. Yes, some of them have experience at a top level, but you also look at how young this team is. You look at how many new players just to England in general there are on these teams. I think while, yes, um, we know to watch out for them, they. I think if you're if you're the casual Premier League fan, do you know about all these players that Wolves just signed. You know about a few it, like, of them. Yes. Rui Patricio, Diego Jota, getting him permanently. Like he was a very good player in the championship last season. I don't, I don't know if you're like, if what I'm, I think we're kind of confusing the casualness of Premier League fan here, but I, I just look at this team and I think, you know, people can assume that seventh place is, as maybe it's going to be an Everton. Maybe it's going to be a West Ham or, um, and I, I think Wolves could st- to sneak up there and I think I think again though being coming from a coming from the championship and finishing in seventh place would be an incredible achievement that's a Europa League spot on your first time in the in the your, your first season up back in the Premier League that would be huge for them I, I absolutely agree um I, I think getting seventh or I think even getting top 10 is probably like slightly above them this season because there is there there are going to be growing pains. I mean, they could start hot, but I just think at the end of the day, they're, they're going to have spells throughout the year where they, they, they drop a considerable, a considerable amount of points, like over a three or four game stretch. And they do that a couple of times where they just aren't able to keep pace with like the top six teams. And even like whichever one of those teams you named before ends up challenging that top six and being like seven, eight, nine. So, Top ten would be amazing for them. I think if they, if they do that, that's absolutely sort of a uh, that's an impressive season for them to get into the top ten. But I, I think what they're hoping for is just to remain outside of a relegation battle. You know, uh, I think they'll be absolutely happy with that. Uh, my sleeper team. I'm going to say Leicester City, and the reason I'm counting them as a sleeper, even though they obviously have won the league in seasons past and uh, have been in and around mid-table, is I think they're going to legitimately challenge the, uh, one of the top six teams. I think one of Tottenham, Arsenal, uh, or, or Chelsea, it's going to be very close between them finishing uh, sixth and them finishing maybe seventh or eighth and having an absolute nightmare of a season. And if a lot of people get what they want and have a, a united implosion, 
under Jose Mourinho, then maybe Mourinho's side ends up in like tenth, like Chelsea did when we imploded that one season. So there, there's there, there's like a capability there for one of these teams like Leicester, Everton, Wolves. I'll count to West Ham to step up and insert themselves into like the Europa League and top six places. Um, I, I like Leicester just because th- though they've gotten rid of Mares, I as I've said in the past, James Madison and uh, Damari Gray are going to be very good additions. They're very good uh, players to sort of step up and to fulfill uh, those creative responsibilities. And then today they just signed uh, this young winger from Monaco, Gazelle, uh, who's 22, 23, uh, young French uh, winger of African descent who hasn't quite had the end product in Ligue 1 from Monaco, but he's a decent, a decent creative player on the ball who I think can help create chances for Jamie Vardy to finish off. You know, And if we see further development from the likes of Kalecci Iannaccio, maybe they have another goal scorer in the team. There, there's, there's a lot of young talent to really like about uh, Leicester the City this season. I don't, I don't hate that. I think everything you just brought up is all, all good points. Um, let's jump to our struggler. Uh, before before we do that, our surprises. Um, let's see here. I have Tone gives us West Ham. He actually has West Ham finishing in six. Yeah, so he's he's in a his... believer in Maurizio Pellegrino as a, as a as a City fan, of course. So yeah, uh, that's not surprising that he thinks Pellegrino can really like. Actually, it's Pellegrini. Pellegrini, yeah. Pellegrini. See, now we get mixed up with Pellegrini. the. Uh... Yeah, 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 yeah. Um. I mean, yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Uh, no Manchester United in his top six. His table is City, Liverpool, Spurs, Arsenal, Chelsea, West Ham, relegating again Cardiff. Uh, Newcastle, if Rafa leaves, and Brighton Brighton, um, and Bournemouth are Bournemouth are in if Rafa does stay. Um, and then our other surprise that we had submitted from Chewy was – Fulham finishing in the top half, which I talked about on the last pod, I think is possible. It's it's probably, um, yeah. He also has Jose Mourinho being fired before January. See, that's just is, that's just the Chelsea fan in him. I trained him well. <laughs> yeah, he did. You really, you really got your claws in deep on that one. <laughs> uh, we'll jump over to our struggler, and I talked about them on our last podcast. Uh, I'm picking Burnley. Um they're, they have a minimum of six more games in the Europa League to deal with. They haven't really added. I and and in terms of struggle, I'm talking about compared to last season because I don't see them ending up truly in a relegation right. battle. I mean, last season, I th- the peak. I th- right, and but I, I think that they're not going to play up to the same level that they have in seasons past because of that Europa League. Uh, they might not even get it. You know, they have they still have a a Europa League knockout tie with some Turkish team to get into like the group stages. So, you know, what if they don't end up with Europa League and they're just sort of focusing on the league all year? That's fine. I still think that it isn't all What is the struggle? Do you think they're going to end up in like a relegation battle maybe or I think I think you're just not seeing a team that gets the results in the manner that they did later past. I think some of those wins or draws go other ways and they drop more points than expected. And I think you're talking about a team that finishes above the relegation battle. Like they're safe with like six weeks to go, maybe five weeks to go, but it's not the same Burnley that we saw the last couple of years. I think there's that there's a chance that maybe this team, again, I talked about it. I think biting off a little bit more than they I think that's chew. a very sensible pick, Andrew. <laughs> Honestly, I, that sounds completely rational to me. Um, my struggle is West Ham. 
Uh, I just don't see how, even with the signings they've made, which I will agree are pretty impressive, Felipe Anderson especially, uh, Jack Wilshire is obviously a huge addition to helping uh, Manuel, Pellegrini, Manuel Pellegrini. I can't believe I called him Maurizio Pellegrino, the other guy earlier. Yeah. Uh, for Manuel Pellegrini to sort of implement his... Uh, I mean, he played a pretty open possession style uh, at Manchester City when they won the league uh, a, a few years ago under him. So I, I didn't think West Ham really had the players to do that before these transfers came in. I still think they're one or two midfield players away from being uh, a capable... Uh, team in that system under him because at the end of the day who are you playing in midfield you're playing Pedro Obiang Mark Noble Jack Wilshire they've sold Cuyate. Uh they, they don't really have anyone else in midfield areas maybe like the young Irish player Declan Rice it's uh it's not exactly a stacked midfield to play an open passing possession style so I think they might struggle in that regard and uh, if, if they don't sign a few more center backs or at least one more center back in the next uh, a couple of days before the the window closes. They're going to be starting the season with, um, oh my gosh, <laughs> they're going to be starting the season with uh, Winston Reed is out. They uh, sold Jose Font. I'm trying to remember their other center backs. James Collins, I think, retired. Uh, they only have two or three center backs, and they're both uh, very young options that I don't think are going to be enough to really propel them into that like top six conversation like some people are uh, proposing. I, I think they're going to start a little slow, probably not anything too serious that would like threaten uh, Manuel Pellegrini's job, but I think they'll eventually click, maybe make a few more signings in January, and by the time February rolls around, they're like in full flow out of the relegation conversation and like firmly in mid-table, but not really sniffing the top of the table like people wanted. I I could see it. I don't have them doing that. I don't have that happening to them. Um, I'm a little bit more of a believer, but I stand by what I said last week. They're going to be fucking great on FIFA. Yeah, they're going to be fun on FIFA for sure. Uh, that about wraps it up. I think we hit everything. Um, you did ask me earlier, though, for... What's your crazy prediction for Liverpool this season? And it's open-ended on purpose. It can be anything. Nabi Keita scores 15 goals in all competitions. Okay, I like that one. It was pretty nice. You could do that in the Champions League and uh, Cup games. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that, that's yeah. not bad. Yeah, okay. I'll take it. No, uh, there's no real like personnel ones to talk about with them, right? Because the team's pretty much set. <laughs> yeah, I think... Uh, I, I... Like Alberto Moreno isn't winning the left-back position back or something. Fuck no. <laughs> He's basically just there to be friends with Roberto Firmino. Yeah, he's a like, hype he's man. literally he's the fucking hype man for Liverpool Football Club. Which I mean, there are worse jobs to have, let me tell you. Um I would like to see Oxlade Chamberlain return from injury sooner because we don't know what's up with that. There's rumors that he could be back before descent by the by the end of the calendar year, there's rumors that he might not be available at all for the but season. A which Fabinho. Nabi Keita, Oxlade Chamberlain midfield would be nice. It would be nice to go into yeah. war with. I, yeah. I could get behind that. Yeah, I would. I really want that to happen, and I, I just want, I want Ox to be healthy because sure. coming down right before he pulled up that injury last year, I don't think I'd ever seen him play better football, and I wanted more of that. And I think, I think if he had finished the season healthy, you're talking about a different finish for Liverpool. Um, maybe they locked up top four a little bit quicker. 
maybe they don't lose 4-1 or 3-1 in the Champions League final. Maybe it's 3-2, but I think you're talking about a different team. His injury his his injury really hurt the club. Um, that wraps it up. I want to say thank you to everybody who replied to the question on Twitter. Um, so thanks for that, guys. Uh, you can... Follow us on Twitter at Andrew Pissarro, at ASMOS92, at Ghost Gold Pod. And like I said at the end of the last episode, you know, we all know people who are picking up soccer more because they started watching the World Cup. Send them, send them the podcast. All you got to do is be like, hey, man, this thing comes out a couple, at least once a week. There's, the, you know, they're always talking about stuff. Like, review us on iTunes. Yeah, um, so also we got the, uh, the Fantasy League. We got a shout out. Uh, starting, I mean, the deadline is going to be, I believe, Friday, right around kickoff of the United Leicester City game. Uh, just go online to uh, premierleague.com, go to their fantasy page, start a, a create a profile and make a team and go and look up the Ghost Goal Podcast Fan League. Uh, and we'll post the uh, the code to be admitted to the league on uh, one of our, uh, uh, both of our social media pages, either uh, Instagram and Twitter. It'll be uh, posted up there either Monday morning, Monday afternoon, sometime then. Yeah, I'm actually updating mine right now before I pull a classic Andrew moment and forget. We to were at it. like something like early, like low twenties last season. We're at ten right now. People who have already like created their team and submitted their lineups for this season. Uh, so but I hope I hope we get to like thirty. I've definitely been recruiting people. I've been recruiting a lot of people. Oh so really? Reach out to them and be like, "Yo, go submit your team right now." Even if they join late, it's not That's... a big deal. If you miss like a week or something, you can come back from that. That's not like the end of the world. Yeah, and uh, here I am. I think I'm back into. Yeah, I'm in. So I got to build my team. Dope. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. And until next time, 